Father, we thank you that we are partners together. What a privilege today, Father God, to release my faith, for those watching to release theirs. And in partnership, we believe that what we're about to hear will challenge us and help us and make us better. We thank you, Father God, for the day that we live in. We know there are challenges all around us, but we know that your word is true and and you are God and you are with us and you enable us during whatever kind of season that we go through. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you're the only one that's worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We started a series, uh, a two-part series last week, and it comes out of a concern that I have that seems to be growing in my heart. It's really troubling me. It seems like the more this COVID season lasts, the more good people are being moved by their feelings and their emotions. They're being moved by fear and anxiety. They're being moved by all the voices and doomsday prophets uh, that are all around us. And my, my big concern, if I can be honest with you, is that we, the followers of Christ, we, those who are disciples of God's Word, are, are far more being moved by so much of these influences more than we should. Frankly, we are the ones that should be standing on God's Word. And I'm not saying you're not, but, 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 the, but we have to be so careful that we are recognizing God's Word is true in our lives. God's Word is alive in us. I heard a minister say that if you're listening to the news more than you're listening to God's Word, your discouragement is self-inflicted. I thought, wow, what a great statement that is. So much of what we're going through is self-inflicted. And there are other things we know that are beyond our control, but God's Word is our source. And so I, I dealt last week with a very important subject of indifference, but to, to, I felt like it's so important that the, even the title of this uh, two-part message really says it all, and our title today is Moved by What Moves God. Moved by what moves God. You know, and we're moved by so many things, it's important that as believers that we are truly moved by what moves God. And so, yes, last week we talked about indifference. And how indifference doesn't care. How indifference is that subtle, slow progression that invades our hearts and gets us into a place of, of, of just a callous, hard heart, apathetic, complacent, no place, especially today, for the child of God. We dealt with indifference last week and we asked this question, what moves God? What a great question. What moves God? And we declared that hearts without Jesus move God. And if that moves God, that should move us. Uh, what moves God is the, the, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the disenfranchised, the hopeless. All this moves God. And indifference gets us self-centered. Indifference thinks about me. And when we break through to what moves the, us, what God's heart is moving towards, is that we get our eyes back on Jesus. We get our eyes back on the people we're called to minister to. So one of the, the first areas that I believe gets affected when indifference invades our heart is our urgency to reach people far from God. Man, it seems to go right out the window when we, are, again, are so 
centered on us, our needs, and the challenges around us, that we're not being moved any longer by what moves God. And this COVID season definitely has isolated us. It has distanced us from the very people we are called to reach. Here's our big takeaway. Here's, here's the direction we're going today. Here it is. There is no greater difference a person can make than to help someone else be in heaven for all eternity. My goodness, what a great opportunity we have. Man, there's no way you can make a greater difference in somebody's life when you're focused on the heart of God. What moves God is people far from God. This mission of which Jesus summons each one of us to as followers of Christ is urgent. Yes, and it's challenging, no doubt. The Apostle Paul gives us some clear insight into the heart of Jesus concerning those far from God. It says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow concerning His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient with us, because He does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is the will of God, that none of us perish and suffer because of our sin. But each one of us come to a, a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, repent from our sins, and, right, and start this new life in Christ. It's an urgent and it's, it's urgent and imperative, right, that we find a way to reach those that are far from God. No matter what the distance, no matter what the obstacles are, there is a strategy that God has that we must understand. And I'm going to talk about that strategy today because I believe it really brings us out of indifference and of lack of caring and compassion and brings us right back into the heart of God where God's plan and purpose is. Thank God we have a roadmap on what moves God. It's found in John chapter 4. Thank God we have the strategy, we have the schematic, we have the blueprint, if you will, to help us really press in to how we can be moved by what moves God. The story in John 4 is about a woman at the well. And this is a, a, a tremendous story. It's a famous story in the Bible. And it's a story about how on one very hot day at high noon, there is this encounter with Jesus and a woman at the well. And it's a challenging territory because it's a territory where Jews are not welcome, um, where there is a difficulty because it's Samaritan territory. So already we have some drama building because it's, it's a territory that Jews do not like to go through. And there's this tension that's always been there between the Jews and the Samaritans. Many would call this woman beyond reach. But by the end of the day, she has opened up her heart to the Jewish Messiah and along with many others in her village. There's nothing short of amazing when you consider the walls between her and Jesus. There was four specific gaps, if you will, that we find there was a gender gap, a racial gap, a religious gap, and a moral gap. So there was a gender gap. She was a woman. And we know back in the day, they were not respected, and especially a Samaritan woman. 
It was a racial gap. Again, being a Samaritan, she was from a, a mixed um, group intermarrying the Assyrians for centuries. And the Jews hated the, the Samaritans because they were half Jew, half Gentile. And this cultural mixing uh, it caused for great tension. And then there was a religious gap. And so they had their own version of the Bible. They had their own temple that they went to. And obviously there was a moral gap. And she has had six husbands, five husbands already. And this sixth man she's living with. So you can see already the challenge that Jesus has before him. And we pick it up in John 4, verse 9. It says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So we know that this Samaritan woman not only faced racism from outside her community, she also experienced tremendous prejudice inside her community. That's why we find her today in this story at the well at high noon. No one goes to the well at high noon in the heat of the day. They usually go in the morning or they go in the evening. But here she finds herself always during the afternoon when nobody is there. Why? Because the people of her own uh, village, uh, especially the women, have looked down upon her and, and, and she's not welcomed there. And she's being shunned and rejected. But Jesus knew her history and he still accepted her and ministered to her. What a great picture already of the heart that moves God. Our Savior shows us in dramatic fashion how to rescue someone that's far from God. Facing so many barriers, his great uh, Samaritan rescue plan shows some key life-saving actions that we can help effectively reach someone far from God. I have four action steps for you today that I believe each one will give us some clarity and some understanding of how important that we walk in the heart of God. So action step number one, enter their world. Enter their world. John 4, 4 shows us and tells us this. In John 4, 4 it says, Now it was necessary that he, Jesus, go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. You see, the introduction to this rescue classic story raises the question, obviously, why would a Jew, why would Jesus needs be go through Samaria? Why would a Jew go through Samaria? Usually they would take the longer version of the trip and they would go around bypassing um, the whole region because of how difficult it was. But Jesus went through Samaria. Why? I, I believe it's not rocket science because you have to go through Samaria to reach a Samaritan. So that was the simple thing. He, he went where she, he knew this woman needed some divine intervention in her life. Yes, this was an uncomfortable place as a Jew for Jesus to be. But since when is comfort an issue to someone who's trying to rescue a dying person? Think about this. No one has ever, res no one has ever been rescued by a comforter 
in a comfortable spot, right? The, the firefighter has to go into the burning building and the earthquake rescue worker has to go into where the, the, the building has already collapsed and the lifeguard has to go what? Into the surf uh, to find and rescue this drowning person. And we have to go into the world of the lost person to help them be in heaven with us. Luke 19, 10. Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It says it right there, right? The importance of what? You can't save them if you don't seek them. And so because of modern lost people and for the most part have to be reached where they are, as everyday Christians, we then become the key, right? The key person that's around them. We have a key assignment, every one of us, right? Because we need to realize um, it, that because they're far from God, we have to go where they are. And you already are where they are. You as a follower of Christ are cleverly disguised as the student at school and the worker in your workplace or the neighbor in your neighborhood. For the dying people in your world, no other Christian on earth is better positioned to rescue them than you. You are already God's secret weapon disguised in all the various forms of what we do, right, in the world today. By making you his personal link to these people, Jesus has trusted you, right, to elevate you and summon you for an eternal purpose and eternal significance in their lives. And that's why it's critical that we continually build relationships with people that are far from God. I pray that your only friends are just not believers. And it's great to have fellow followers of Christ as your friends, but I pray that they're not your only friends. And I pray that, that you have reached out and made acquaintances and friends on every level to those that are far from God. Why? Because these relationships with people that are far from God, you have been assigned to, right? And not to settle for just living in your Christian cocoon. You got to remember, listen, a world you can't enter is a world you can't reach. So you can't be afraid. You can't be living in this bubble. You can't be so isolated that you are not entering the world where the person far from God is. Because what? A world you can't enter is a world you cannot reach. So important. There are so many practical steps that we can talk about how to enter this world, including opening up your home to them, right? Praying for them when the opportunity arises or doing special things that make them feel special. God has opened all kinds of doors and, and building intentional bridges into the lives of people that he has given us to reach. It is just so practical. All right, action step number two. Go after one. Go after one. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could have very easily went to the streets of Samaria, maybe the city of Zychar, and started preaching the gospel to everyone. But that was not his strategy. His strategy was he simply focused on one. So we get all 
you know, intimidated, overwhelmed by the amount of maybe lost people that might be around us, people far from God. And all God is wanting us to do is focus in on one. One. We can all do that. If we each one reach one, imagine what would happen if we all had this same attitude. And because of that one, much of the village ultimately gave their lives to Christ. Amen. In the same way, Jesus is not talking about and, and wanting us to reach the whole office, to reach your whole school, to reach your whole neighborhood. He's just asking you to find one person in your neighborhood, one person on the job, one person right in, in your school, one person. We can all find that one person. Purpose, focusing on the one. Only God knows the long-term series of miracles that could result from you praying this simple, simple prayer. Lord, please put on my heart one person you want me to reach for you. We could all pray that one prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, who's that one? Who's that one person that I need to reach? Who's that one person at the well, if you will, in the crossroads, in need of encouragement, in need of a savior, at that place, that man, that woman, that child, that young adult that needs Jesus, right? That, then that person becomes who you pray for. You pray for by name. You begin to ask God for natural opportunities, right, to show them and tell them about Jesus. And responding to being moved by what moves God you promised Jesus, I will do whatever it takes to help my friend be in heaven with me. And that's what we're saying. It's a doable goal. It's practical. It's something we can commit ourselves to, to be moved by what moves God. It's a powerful way to start a miracle. All right. Action step number three. You can see these are so practical. It says this, create spiritual curiosity. Create spiritual curiosity curiosity with so many gaps between them, right? There needs to be a, a strategy in reaching um, these individuals that are far from God. And it's no small challenge for Jesus to find a way to open up this conversation to the, to the Samaritan woman. But be, he began by using the real connection and the obvious connection that they had needing water. Water was why she was there. Water was why Jesus was there. And they intersected where there was a natural need. After starting, uh, startling her by asking her for a drink, in spite of being a Jew and her being a Samaritan, Jesus made this tantalizing statement to her in John 4.10. He said this, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. See, it's important that you understand something today. Jesus didn't start from the obvious sinful relationship she was involved in. Didn't even introduce himself as a savior. He just threw out some bait. And that bait to a hungry fish began to nibble, right? He said something that would create spiritual curiosity. Our master told us to make spiritually curious um, statements or to put ourselves in positions that would raise up and, and, and rise up someone's curiosity about really who we are and, 
and the heart behind some of the things that we would say. Matthew 5.16 gives us some insight. It says this, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. You see this? That they may see your what? Good deeds. Not necessarily how many scriptures you know how to memorize or, or how loud you pray in tongues or, or, or all the spiritual accomplishments that you've made. See, may see your good deeds. And what happens when they see their, your good deeds? They will praise your Father in heaven. See, it's all these good deeds that those friends of ours that we've now determined to reach see that Jesus ultimately was getting them to think about their Father in heaven. And how do we get people far from God thinking about their, fa their Father in heaven? How do, they, how do we get them thinking about eternal things is through natural things? He says it right here. It's our good deeds that open up their heart to think about bigger things than they were even expecting themselves. That certainly must include looking for opportunities to show those far from God that God loves them in ways they feel and understand. It's all part of the life-saving mission to prayerfully ask, listen very carefully, what are the needs I can identify in the life of the one I want to reach? What specific things could I do that might make them feel loved and cared about? You see how practical this is? You see how natural this is? Oh, it's no doubt a supernatural thing, but it's very natural and it should come very easy to us when we realize that the people around us need to be loved in ways that are customized to their lives, their needs. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe free babysitting. Maybe cooking some cookies, right? Transportation, yard work, hospital visits, prayer in a painful time, a listening ear, a celebration on a certain special day. God will show you ways to express His love if you'll just ask Him in ways that it's customized to them. They get it. They see it. They realize it. Their attention is peaked, right? Loving the people in our personal universe is like kind of the salt that will make them thirsty for what we have and who we have, right? Another way of following Jesus' model in creating this spiritual curiosity is to be different in ways that matter to the people that we're burdened to reach. Think about this. The best way to reach your parents is to ask Christ to make you the best son and the best daughter that you could possibly be to your parents. The best way to reach your coworker is to ask the Lord, Lord, help me be the most diligent and the most conscientious, most caring employee, employee in that workplace. And you want to reach your neighbors, what do you say? Lord, help me just be the best neighbor that my neighbor needs me to be. All the thoughtfulness, all the simplicity, all that goes along with that, when you think about it, it's an increasingly anti-Christ culture and not particularly concerned about sin. And so Jesus' next step, I believe, becomes all the more critically important. If you're going to have God's heart and be moved by what moves God, here our final action plan really seals the deal for us today. Action step number four, starting with their starting point. Starting with their 
starting point. Think about this. Historically, believers presenting Jesus um, have made their man's sin problem their starting point. Now, I get why we do that. I get it that, that sin is a very real deal. But I understand something. It's not where Jesus started. You think, whoa, what? It's not where Jesus started. Today in our post-Christian antichrist environment, that sense of wrong of what sin is has become neutralized by a culture that aggressively re rejects the intolerant idea that there's absolute right and wrong. If people around us do not understand that spiritual peril they are in because of their sin and therefore their need for a rescuer, they will, as Jesus said, die in their sins. So, how do we introduce the Savior from sin to those we care about to whom sin is a non-issue? Man, that's a powerful statement. How do we do this? How do we do this when nobody has or few have this sin awareness that that's actually bad? And, and years ago, we would do certain things and we knew it was wrong. But man, that, that seared consciousness, that, that place where we are just void of any understanding of what sin is becomes a real issue. Now, we can complain about that. We can say, I don't care. I'm going to hammer sin anyways. And you can go ahead and do that if you want to and ruin your relationship and your opportunity to sow that seed and mine who might come after you or anybody else because we've, we started with the wrong starting point. Amen. Now listen, the answer is right before us, right here in John's account. How Jesus approached the woman at the well. Having had five failed marriages, living with the sixth man, she clearly needed to face her sin. That's obvious. But notwithstanding, that is not where Jesus began his message. He got to the sin issue, but he just didn't start there. Please get this today. Jesus launched into his spiritual pursuit of this Samaritan woman by talking about a need she cared about. Thirst. Yes, thirst. First physical thirst and then ultimately the emotional and spiritual thirst that she knew all too well about. Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Was his opener, followed by the suggestion that he could give her a different kind of drink, living water. Then a master turns the corner and revealing the problem with her every well experience this woman has gone through and finding, trying to find satisfaction. And she never found satisfying love. Man, it was her thirst. Obviously, five husbands, thirst to find the right man, to find someone who would meet her needs, then giving up on marriage itself and saying, I'll just live with the next one, right? John 4, 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, right? Think of the phrase, thirsty again. That's how every earthly relationship, every earth accomplishment, every earth possession leaves us in our souls, thirsty. And this woman who has soul thirst has apparently driven um, uh, her, her from man to man, 
right? Because she's longing for and having something in her heart that can't be satisfied. In creative, non-religious language, Jesus made this offer to her. In John 4, 13, everyone, John 4, 14, forever, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh my goodness, just from a wonderful experience offering her this important understanding, the spiritual spring that would put the answer inside of her rather than in wells she would have to keep going back to. Listen very carefully as I close. Jesus was showing all of us how to start with a person's starting point, right? A need he or she feels. Listen very carefully. Few parents, few patients rather, walk into the doctor's office and say, Doc, I've got cancer. What can you do for me? And no one has ever walked into a, a, or I don't know if no one, but very seldom, right? You wouldn't walk in to a doctor's office and say that. They're not interested in medical attention because of the disease they cannot see, but they go because of symptoms that they can see. The patient will have a lump or a headache or a pain. And so while many lost people don't know they need to be rescued or care about this disease of sin. They deeply care about the symptoms of their sin. They're well acquainted. They might not know that it's symptoms of their sin, but they have all these symptoms in their lives, right? They feel unfulfilled and empty and hurt and guilty and shameful and fearful and anxious and anger and rejected and insecure about their future. All symptoms. They don't realize that, that that can all be met, but they have symptoms. And so we need to recognize the symptoms. We have all had those symptoms in our lives, right? Begin with the symptom, move to the disease, and then present the cure. And so that's how it all works. We begin with the symptom, we move to the disease, which in them is sin, and then present the cure, Jesus Christ. Every life without Christ is experiencing all these symptoms in the same way because sin cuts us off from the one who made us, the one who wants to perfect us, the one who has a plan and a purpose for our lives and wants to redeem us. And so while Jesus started with the Samaritan's unquestionable thirst, he moved from that to her symptom in John 4, 18. You have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. He didn't start with the sin issue, but he didn't avoid it either. The gospel never changes, but our approach in presenting the gospel has to change, has to be relevant, has to be where we talk to a felt need, a known need that opens up a person's heart and gets their attention because we want to begin where a lost person is to bring them to a savior they never knew they needed. Think about this. Your rescue mission is what? Being moved by what moves God is not very complicated. You know what you're doing? You're taking the hand of Jesus. You're taking the hand of the one who needs Jesus and you're putting them together forever. 
That's our mission. That's what we do. When we focus on that, indifference goes out the window. When we focus on that, then there's just some, something fresh and alive that comes into our lives. When we recognize the, the mission that we have and the strategy God gives us, the heart of God can, is, every, is in us longing to break out of us and to be moved by what moves God. Remember our big takeaway? There is no greater difference a person can make than to help someone else be in heaven for all eternity. You want to make a difference? You want to change somebody's life? You want to open up somebody's heart? You want a miracle to begin? You know what's happened to you over the years, what God has perfected in you? You want to start that? Man, find one person. I want to challenge you today. Who is that person at the well for you? Who is that man? Who is that woman? Who is that child? Who is that young adult that needs Jesus? That you can, in a very practical way, begin to open up your heart to them and then welcome God's strategy and wisdom on how to reach that person for Jesus. Let's don't be lazy during this pandemic. Let's don't be lazy during this season of, of physical distancing. And let's don't be lazy during this time where we're concerned. Yeah, do all the health things we need to do. Absolutely. We're doing them ourselves uh, in our own household and our staff. Absolutely. But let's make sure that we have the heart of God and a, a heart that is moved by God is a heart that cares about people. Who is your one? And let's purpose in our heart for the rest of this summer. Let's begin to believe that God will give us this assignment and pray and watch God use us to see someone give their lives to Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this opportunity to preach this word to you, to, to your word to them today. I believe with all my heart that this word is exploding and coming alive on the inside of us today. Lord, inspiring us and challenging us and getting our focus back right again. Maybe even convicting us to say, man, I've drifted away. I've been thinking about so many other things instead of what really matters to God. And I pray as followers of Christ that we will determine in our heart that we are going to find the one in our neighborhood, find the one in our school, find the one in our workplace. Go after them with God's help and God's plan and God's strategy and see lives begin to change for your honor and for your glory. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of those miracles. I don't know about you, but I want that to happen in my life. And more than ever, I want to make sure that there's a miracle happening in your heart today. If you, don't need, if you need Jesus and He's not Lord and Savior of your life, and He has not come and changed your life, my goodness, what a start of a miracle for you today. Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. And I believe that a miracle can start in you today. A breakthrough, a life change can happen for you if you'll just simply open up your heart and say yes to Jesus. And I believe your miracle can begin right now. Pray this with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm in need of a miracle. I'm in need of a breakthrough. I can't do life by myself. I confess my sin before you today. I need your help. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. 
I declare you as my Lord and Savior, and I receive by faith forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Thank you. I will never be the same because of your changing me today. I love you. Thank you for loving me. God bless you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of of today's uh, program. I believe this this broadcast and this message today will, will radically change you. Tell a friend. Let somebody else know that they need to watch this today. We sure do love you. Be blessed. Bye-bye.